This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from Go Abundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for Go Abundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. I'm your host, Jamie Gruber. Today, I had a great time chatting with uh, a gentleman named Dale Corpus, GoBundance member out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, incredible story. Came from five, a family of five in a one-bedroom apartment. His family immigrated from the Philippines when he was young. Actually, he was born here, but his family immigrated from the Philippines. Uh, all the way up through where he is today as a realtor, a mortgage broker, and the sort of the the movements he made through that process and the skills he picked up along the way. We kind of dive deep on that, along with what's happening in the submarkets within an area like San Francisco. What's the condo market doing versus the uh, single-family home market? It was really interesting to have a discussion on that and where he these things going uh, in a market like that, or if you're in a Boston or New York or Miami, wherever these hot markets are, these, these, these large cities are, we had a really good discussion on that. He's got a great energy. You're going to get a lot of, a lot of uh, great advice out of him on how he got to where he is today. Uh, and we chatted about everything from lattes and coffee to passive investing and everything in between. So I really hope you enjoyed this interview with the podcast host of the School of Cashflow podcast, Dale Corpus. Be sure you subscribe to this channel, like this video, drop a comment, let us know what you got out of today's interview with my friend Dale. Hey, everybody, welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here today with a guy from the San Francisco Bay Area that we just had a chance to chit chat and get to know each other. He's been in GoBundance about a year. He's a realtor. He's a mortgage broker. He's an investor. He's a podcast host. He's everything. He does it all. Dale Corpus, brother. Welcome. Well, hey, Jamie, how are you? Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. So let's start with a little backstory on you. You're a, a San Francisco Bay Area, Bay Area guy. Is huh. that where you're from? Kind of start there and take us through through today. Yeah, I was born and raised in, in San Francisco, uh, Bay Area, nevertheless. Um, so my, I was, yeah, born in San Francisco. Like uh, my parents immigrated here from the Philippines. My older sister was born out over in the Philippines. I was born here. Um, I, I didn't like... I didn't realize how much we didn't have until like later on in life, but it's like, I literally lived in, we lived in a, a one bedroom apartment, me and my two siblings, my parents, probably up until I was six or seven years old um, in San Francisco. And um, I didn't go outside that much actually, because my parents were always working, mm -hmm. you know, just trying to make the American dream happen for, for us. I even learned how to ride my own bicycle in our one bedroom apartment. <laughs> uh, cool factoid. And um, anyway, you know, from there, they, as they, you know, started, you know, uh, getting on with their careers, my mom was a, was a uh, administrative assistant and my dad ended up being a, like a sales rep for like a chemical company. Uh, we ended up being able to move into a house and whatnot, but it was around the time when I started going to school, I, I realized like, you know, that, that, you know, we really didn't have that much. And I was just always, you know, driven to just, uh, you know, figure out how that, you know, how to make money even for myself, even as I grew up and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I was always an opportunist. In fact, when I went to college, what I do right now is not even related to what I studied in college. I remember that I wanted to take advantage of like the dot-com boom that was happening at the time, but I was just a little bit too late. Uh, I graduated uh, with a degree from Santa Clara University in electrical engineering, um, and I was super stoked to get it. It was really hard to get, but I think I'm, I'm, one of my skill sets is I'm good at taking tests. Um, and uh, the, I, I remember when I graduated, I got a job right away, but then the, the crash happened in, in, in 2001. I was like, oh, that didn't work out. But um, funny thing is, is that I remember my... My parents, it was, it was my, I think it was my mom, the, my senior year of college, she randomly said, I want you to get your real estate license. And I thought that was coming out of nowhere because it had no interest in, I had no interest in anything related to real estate, but both my parents had their um, real estate licenses, uh, but they didn't really do anything with it. They just had it, you know, part-time or whatever. So I think it was like their, their friends their friends had their licenses and they did it too because their friends were doing it. But 
anyhow, I ended up getting my license that summer I graduated from college or whatnot. And so a year later, when, uh, when the bus happened, I actually got laid off from like a hardware engineering job. I was like, I think things happen for a reason. And I was like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Because I, I, one of the things that I didn't like when I had my first engineering job was... Um, I'm, I was with a lot of smart, like I'm like with a lot of tech nerds, techniques that I was like, I don't fit in because I don't relate to their conversations over at, you know, during lunch or whatnot. I mean, I'm sure, like, uh, I'm smart, but in a different way, but I was just more so obsessed with how to figure out how to buy a home in the San Francisco Bay area, because yes, it's expensive now, but back then I already thought everything was so expensive and it's all really relative. And I was like, this is what I want to learn how to do. Um, and so when the, when I got laid off, I was like, I think, you know, I thought it was actually kind of a blessing at the same time. Cause it was like freedom from, you know, I don't like this job. And I know that at the time office space, the movie was already out. I'm like, I felt like I was in office space anyways. And so, um, I, I, I left and it's, I could have either been a, a, a realtor at the time or a, a mortgage broker. And, I didn't have enough money to pay for real estate dues. So I went the route of becoming a, um, a loan officer. And that uh, was was a really cool experience for me. I ended up working at a lot of the big banks in downtown San Francisco, um, like Wells Fargo, you know, JP Morgan, uh, Countrywide, which ended up becoming, you know, uh, getting bought out by, by Bank of America. But like, I didn't have any like sales, you know, background or training or whatnot, but... Through that experience, I was able to meet a lot of people. Uh, the networking was great, obviously, because I, I was working with bank clients and I was really, really able to learn how to talk to people. And I was like, oh, they actually like me and they're buying things for me. Um, and so I, I, I think I got really good at explaining options and uh, what they can do and what they can't do and whatnot. And so I started off in, you know, um, in, in the real estate world, just by originating mortgages. And I remember um, things were so fun. I mean, money was so easy to be had back then. And obviously this was before the crash and everything like that. And, um, but when the crash happened, uh, which I knew was gonna happen because it was just a little bit too easy to get people approved. Um, and I, 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 I couldn't meet my quotas in the bank anymore. Nobody fit the guidelines. Everybody's properties were underwater, even my own properties. And, um, I was like, I need a way to, you know, to, 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 to basically transform myself into something else. And I just remember a few of my clients started asking me about, could you help me with a loan modification or can you help me do a short sale or whatever? And then I was like, I think I can, I have my license. It's like, let's, let's try to be a realtor. <laughs> and so, um, my, I, I, I suddenly was a realtor. I didn't even, you know, overnight literally almost. And so it's just my very first, my very first two sales were, were short sale listings. And I was like, Oh, I think I could do this. And it felt like it was just doing, it felt it was like a, it was like doing a loan plus a real estate transaction all together. I was like, oh, I think this is my calling. When I got into real estate, you know, it, it was actually, it was not hard to get the business because I already had all these contacts. So it's like one of the things that I've, that I've learned that is my skill set is just my ability to kind of keep in touch with everybody and just the relationship building. And I was like, wow, I, this is like, I already had a business. Um, but, you know, so that's how I, you know, I, I still do mortgages as well, but I'm, I, I do, uh, I love the real estate aspect of just working, being as a realtor, because it's like, you get to meet the people in person and, you know, hang out with them and, you know, really, really get to know them where I'm not able to do that as much on the mortgage side. Um, but it's been a very, you know, it's been a, a very fun ride. I mean, I'm, I'm still doing real estate full time. I now have a, a, a sales team that I'm growing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've been a solo agent for such a long time. Time. And it's just recently now that I've, I've been building this team. So now it's like, I'm moving from like a, a me business to like a we business um, with assistance and whatnot. So it's just been really fun and I'm enjoying it every step of the way. Love it. San Francisco yeah. Bay area. Uh, like you said, it's uh it's, it's historically been a, you know, a very pricey market. You hear all about in, in COVID, you know, this exodus, if you will, from California, New York, kind of the, you know, the, the tried and true blue states, if you will, coastal markets to warmer, warmer pastures, lower tax climates, all of that stuff. What are you seeing right now in your, in your business? I mean, you're growing your business, obviously. Yeah. Are prices down? Is the market hot in San Francisco still? Like, what does it look like? How, how true or how much do you feel this news story of the great exodus from California and, and all of that at this point, if at all? <laughs> 
Okay, so um, you're right. It's still very expensive right now. And it's like, I, I don't necessarily work in San Francisco proper, but I can tell you that in San Francisco, like the, like there's different markets going on there. Like for example, there's the condo market and there's a detached single family home market. I can tell you that the condo market has gotten depressed. I do own a condo there myself, that's a rental. So it's gone down in value and the rents for the condo have also gone in in value. But the thing is detached single family homes in San Francisco is still going up. People are valuing the land and what you can do with it and whatnot. So I live um, in San Ramon in the East Bay, uh, which is about 40 minutes east of uh, you know San Francisco. It's really nice uh, suburb. But the funny thing about what COVID did to where I live in the East Bay for rural estate homes and you know values and whatnot is that it skyrocketed them. Okay. So um, basically the value now is in land because the buyers where I live in the East Bay, they're mainly coming from, you know, San Francisco or Silicon Valley and whatnot, which are, you know, about 40 minutes hour away from where I, where I'm at, but they get even the, 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 they think that where I live is affordable when it's really not, you know, at the same time though, too, it's all relative. Um, but they realize that they can get a nice single family home, you know, um, versus just getting what, uh, you know, maybe, you know, a smaller one or a, or a larger townhome for the, for the same price. And so, uh, what's been very, very interesting about selling real estate locally where I, I personally live is that now where I live, it feels like Silicon Valley and whatnot, where you have to be super aggressive, both in terms of you know your price and you really, it's, it's hard to even get your offer accepted if you had a contingency on in, in anything you're offered. So it's just like that wasn't, it wasn't like that before where a lot of times my buyers where we're making offers out of it here, I have to coach them of how aggressive it is. Like having a loan appraisal or inspection contingency in your offer is almost like the kiss of death sometimes when you're competing with, you know, 10, 20 other offers and everybody's got money. This is the Bay Area. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, insane. At the condo market downtown, you mentioned you being an owner of one. Yeah. Are you seeing any sparks of life? I just wonder with COVID, I've, I've had this theory, like, you know, coming, living in Boston previously, like, a, you know, an urban environment. I love it. I loved living downtown. It was the best time of my life. My wife and I one day, uh, you know, wish to, our kids are grown. We want to go back to a downtown condo type life with the fatigue of COVID. You know, it feels like now, you know, new variants popping up, all that stuff. Are you seeing any, any sparks of life in that market? Are people starting to kind of, you know, maybe hedge back downtown at all or is there still an exodus or is it stable like where where is it right now i do still see some some signs of life i mean stuff is open um and then i like so I, what i think about san francisco it's always been a boom and bust city i mean think about you know just everything that's been going on even when when even even during like the gold rush days it's a boom and bust city it's just like it will bounce back yeah um it's such an international city everybody loves it so much culture out of there uh same thing with the real estate it's like it's happened before it's like san francisco will still um have that charm to it and i'm not even like like keeping that con in the city is something that I wanted to potentially even, I want to keep it actually because I want to be able to uh, potentially live there even when I'm older too, you know what I mean? Because it's San Francisco. Uh, but I do feel that, you know, some of the, uh, some of the, it's not as busy as it used to be pre-COVID, but you know, there's still, there's life, there's activity. People still want to move there. Um, yes, people are still moving out, uh, but overall the values have not really been affected in the Bay Area, which doesn't sound logical but it's 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 that way i love how you've extracted along your journey what i heard at least um lessons so you know in the mortgage space you learned how to network and interact and build that build that community around you and that you took that to serve you as a realtor and so, you know like you've just built skills it seems yeah. like you're a skill builder as you've gone through all of this and you mentioned that you know growing up unknowingly in a in maybe meager uh, in a meager yeah. way like one bedroom for for a family of five i mean that's yeah, uh, you know, to your point, like now you're big at the time. The funny thing is it felt big at the time because that's crazy. That I knew. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's it's all perspective. But you said about, you know, you when you realized going to school, like, yeah, we didn't have much and and you focused really in on, wow, how do I make money? When did that first was it in college? Was it in the in the mortgage game? Was that when did that that instinct, that desire, that that I, I almost put it like it sounds like you wanted to make sure that that there was not going to be scarcity in your life. When did that first show up? Were you trading cards in school, lemonade stands, newspaper routes? Or was that something that really, really you came into your entrepreneurial own once you hit college and after? When did that kind of manifest for you? 
Okay. Um, so I was always, I, I'm going to say more so it happened uh, after college, but um, like, you know, maybe like when I was younger, I was always trying to figure out how um, I could make something happen on the side. I mean, I was trying to do newspaper routes and whatnot. Uh, and I was trying to, um, you know, I was actually trying to sell newspapers at first and I thought I would never be able to do sales because nobody would ever buy from me. So I'm like, <laughs> it's funny how we sell right now. But um, yeah. but I think it was more so, um, it was more so after, it was after college when I got that, you know, real estate bug, the real estate bug of like, how do I buy right now? And I was like, well, I really need a lot of money to buy in the Bay Area. And I think it was at that point when I'm like, we need to make this happen. And I think that's when the hustle grew in me. Um, and, um, and, and then here I am now, you know, yeah. uh, because, but I, I didn't really have any businesses per se prior to, to college, but it was afterwards. I mean, most of my friends are in tech. Like I'm one of the only ones that is an entrepreneur. I mean, I say entrepreneur because I feel like I'm, I'm more of an entrepreneur than I am like a, um, like a, a mortgage broker or a realtor. Cause I just, I, I, I happen just to be in real estate. I'm like a real estate entrepreneur. It's just like, um, when you did my intro, it's like, I, 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 I like to wear a lot of different hats. Uh, but the cool thing is everything's related to real estate. I mean, I just get bored doing one thing. <laughs> can't sit, I can't sit, I can't sit still. I think I have ADD. I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, it was kind of fit, fits into my next question though, a little bit like, you, you know, when you have that moment in school where you, where you realize like, Oh, wow. One bedroom apartment for a family of five. That's like, that's, that's not, you know, that's small or that's, you know, that's, you know, we're, we're not living that big all of a sudden. Does that show up today? Like, is there any sort of, you know, like how much of the, the grind of your parents, that immigrant story that they have coming here and starting from nothing and making it into something and providing the life for you? I mean, you learned to ride your bike in your apartment for God's sake. I mean, that's such an incredible, it's incredible. I mean, you did it, but your parents really worked their way to get to you, you to where you need to be. But you had revelations moments along the way where it sounds like, especially in school where you realized, oh, wow, you know, I, I, you know, we're, we're not, we're not where I think we could be, or I'm, I guess we're not where I thought I could be. Is there anything that shows up today for you from that? Is there any, I don't want to call it trauma, but is there any sort of uh, uh, lessons from your parents or moments from the past that still drive you to this day? Um, there, I just remember that when I was a kid that like, I remember I wanted an Atari for years. Yeah, <laughs> we never Atari. get it. Cause it's just, I mean, I wanted an Atari and I, um, and like every kid loves video games. And I just remember for years, we, my parents couldn't afford it and whatnot. And I just, I didn't understand money back then. And I didn't ever wanted that to be an issue for when I had kids and, and whatnot. And I just wanted to be able to provide and just life to be, you know, full of abundance and whatnot. Um, I, like, I don't live in a scarcity mindset right now. Okay. I feel very blessed with the with this, with the skill sets I picked up, the lessons I've learned from the people I've met, because I think, I don't know, life's about all the relationships of people that have helped you along the way. And I feel so fortunate for everything that has happened. So, you know, to me, I mean, like even joining GoBundance was like, I joined it on a whim because one of my, one of my friends that, you know, that, that, that's, uh, I'm big into fitness. It was one of my friends that I met through CrossFit actually decided to join GoBundance and he's like, we're really good buddies. I'm like, I don't want to miss out because you're, you're going to be having fun. I want to see what it's going to be like too. And I'm like, I joined GoBundance not even knowing what, what it was truly about. But now that I'm in, I'm not leaving. You know, it's just like, um, it, it's just like, these. Are, I was like, these are the coolest people ever. And I feel like they, they're more like me. And I'm, I, I, I have more people to talk about like biz, like business and just, just, you know, talking about, you know, goals in my life with that I can't necessarily talk about with even the people that I, um, you know, went to college or whatnot uh, with, because it's we related a different level. Um, and I know you understand what I mean, because you're in it too. Yep. <laughs> Can you expand that a little bit though? Because I, I talk to a lot of guys and that's common. That's such a common thing. Like I, you know, I just can't have the conversations in my regular network. So I completely get what you mean. Yeah. But for those listening, what, what do you mean by that? Can't have, okay. so why can't you talk about your goals or why can't you talk about, uh, you know, a, a financial win or a business win or whatever with sort of your, your network of friends that are, you know, outside of abundance? Why can't you? Well, you know what it is. I mean, it's, I mean, part of it's that one sheet. It's like, 
that one sheet, I think it's a rite of passage when you have to present like your one sheet to a group of people you don't even know. It's like you are like disrobing yourself fully and like talking about your net worth, your money, how'd you make your money? Like, you know, uh, you know, what, what all your assets are and whatnot. And it, like it the very first time it's weird, but after that, when you realize everybody's doing it and you're okay with it and you're like, Oh, we're, we could still be friends and, um, you guys are still cool with me. I'm still cool with you. Um, you're not any different just because I know how much you make and I'm not going to treat you any differently and you're not going to treat me any differently. So it's very accepted. You guys have formed, you know, your own uh, culture regarding that. So it's just like, we're all open about it. And I think that once I got over that, uh, even with my own GoPod, for example, I'm like, Oh, it's, uh, we could move on and we could really help each other. Um, all of us have different skill sets and we could just, you know, give each other input in each in, in our lives. And I think it's, I mean, I, I'm going to attribute it right now, just mainly to that one sheet at first, because without that, I mean, I think that was a really like, it's like, a that's like I, the icebreaker of all icebreakers. You know what it I mean? <laughs> we're, we're conditioned really, you know, I know I was at least, you know, in, in my upbringing and a lot of guys I know are as well. Like, you know, you don't talk about certain things like that. It's bragging. It's, it's this, it's that, right? You don't talk about money or like your private assets, like what you own and all of that stuff. So it is a bit, like you said, there's a culture shift in that when you sit in a, a group of men that are, that are openly talking about this. And I've had guys ask me like, you know, you know, are guys like flexing in, in, in GoBundance? Like, yeah, I make this much. I'm like, I mean, I guess that's really up to you, how you perceive them talking about their lives. If the numbers sound big or the trips they take sound amazing to you, that's just their life. It's like anybody saying, yeah, I make 80 grand a year or 20 grand a year or whatever. It's the same thing if I'm making 1.5 a year. Um, and it's, I, I don't know, the way I've, I've couched it is, I think there's in in the a one sheet share in a regular my regular network might might breed things like envy versus in abundance there's appreciation for what you've accomplished or it might breed uh, avoidance of the topic where there's engagement with abundance does that make sense like I think it there's does. just a, a different dynamic there yeah I don't know it does because now like uh, initially when I you know when I first joined abundance like yeah I. I, again, I, I, at first I thought people were flexing, uh, but now that I'm in it more, I actually think people are very genuine and real, you know, yeah. and I applaud everybody, you know, that has done well for themselves. And you know why? Cause I think it's very empowering. It's empowering because it's like, I know that I could get there too. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, if somebody uh, in the group has achieved, you know, so much success and whatnot, and it's kind of like, I feel that like, I have, you know, access to all the resources and the people and whatnot to make the same things happen for myself. And I want people to pull me up. You know, I want to know what they did. And, you know, I actually want to, you know, I want to know them. And um, I, I, I think that in itself, uh, joining GoBundance this year, I mean, again, I, I've been with GoBundance for like almost a year now. And it's really just pulled me up and given me a new, uh, raised my baseline. Of what's possible. I mean, there's people younger than me that's that are in it. The people that are older than me and in it. We're all on a different journey. It's like my, you know, um, you know, I'm I'm still kind of. I, I feel like I just finished my freshman year. There's people that, you know, they're on grad school level over in GoBundance. I get that. I'm not there yet. It's just like different levels of learning along the way. I mean, I, I, um, you know, it seems like everybody's doing so many things. I mean, I never thought I'd have a podcast, by the way, um, for example. And like that happened this year. Part of it is because I'm like, wow, people could have a podcast and write a book and still be successful and be like kick-ass dads and stuff like that. And I'm like, they could do this all. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to do one thing at a time. But I'm like, it's still more than what I would have done before if I wasn't in GoBundance. And I'm like, I'm looking at everything that I've accomplished this year and like the people I've met, I'm like, wow, what a bit different, you know, what a change. I'm like, I'm different too. Yeah, it's not, like you said, it's not magic. It's not like there's some moment pivot. Sometimes there is. I mean, like, oh, this really set me in the in the direction. But it is one of those things where you kind of dive in, you, you get to know some folks, you hear what's going on, you're taking action. Then you look back and go like, wow, that actually, that, I, I'm further than I, I, was, I was, or I feel like I would have been prior to. So, and by the way, I'm on my third freshman year. So I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, so. Um, still try still, to get to grad school. Still try to get to grad school. Try to get to my sophomore year for that matter. I'd love to get there. So. I, uh, no, it's just like, no, what I think that, what I, not the, like, the GoBenesis has been really good for me too. It's so like, here's the thing. It's like, one of the things that 
I wish I knew more uh, before, like when I was, you know, you know, doing mortgages and, you know, real estate is like, I always, I think that I could have grown faster if I like leveraged people more and just, you know, had better, even, you know, more experienced mentors and, uh, and whatnot, because I was of the mindset before, which I'm not now, where I had to know everything about everything just to, to start something new, sure. you know, to, to get into an investment, for example. Um, but it's really not the case. I feel like you need to surround yourself now with people that you know, have, yeah, that that are more successful than you, and just really mimic them and just be around them. Being around them is already going to elevate you enough. It's like it's it, 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 it's 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 you know, they'll help you more than you trying to figure everything out yourself. Hmm. Yeah, it's fun. my my dive into the crypto market. I credit to that. Like I, I I don't know. I'm trying to learn, but then I was just literally sitting with a guy, Sergio, and he's like. Dude, open a BlockFi account. Do this, do this, click this, transfer there. Do you own Ethereum? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Simple stuff like that, all the way up through, right? So, yeah, no. <laughs> just do it. Yeah, you're just like do just, do, just do it. It got your back. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then it went down the next day. I wanted to kill him, but now it's okay. <laughs> it's up now. It's up now. So I'm good. Um, all right, let's do some uh, let's do some one sheet discussion here. Let's start with the horizontal income pillar. Uh, and you tell me what you want to share here. You can share how much in horizontal income or how many streams or both. Just tell me a little bit about your horizontal income strategy and where you are today. Okay, got it. So I am mainly invested in uh, real estate syndications. Um, I have one rental property. So like, well, prior to getting into real estate syndications and um, and notes, mortgage notes, I should say, I used to do out-of-state rentals. And when I realized that there were more work than I thought and whatnot, um, you know, after, you know, getting um, kind of you know, getting getting my education about like uh, syndications and whatnot through, through podcasts, for example, sure. I realized that, you know, uh, com- commercial real estate syndications, at least for me, because I um, wanted to keep you know, my, my, the, my day-to-day business and whatnot were a way to go. That was a lot more passive and whatnot. So, um, my, um, my syndications are, uh, of in some multifamily workforce housing, um, self-storage, uh, mobile home parks. Um, and a lot of, uh, my, uh, uh, and some of my syndications are actually also in mortgage note funds. Um, prior to getting into the real estate syndications, I got exposed to mortgage notes first that I was doing a lot in my self-directed IRA because um, one of my, I got introduced to it because one of my uh, business partners um, he used to refer me real estate business because he had his license, but he didn't really sell anymore. He was an, 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 a, 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 a note broker. And I actually, as a way of thanking him for the business, I just like, I'll just buy some of your notes. And I'm like, I, I, I just wish I met him sooner because I was like, Oh, these are the easiest things to do. I don't need to do anything, but it's like, that just really started that opened my eyes to just what else can I do that's similar to this. And that's when I started listening to podcasts and learning about other types of syndications um, in, in real estate and whatnot. So um, I, I thank him for that. And yeah, um, so like my, you know, my, my passive income is, is, um, it's still growing and whatnot. It's like a lot of the stuff that I, I initially started with investing in syndications and whatnot was in my self-directed IRA, which has grown sizably. And now I'm doing more stuff um, now just outside my, my IRA because it makes more sense and whatnot. But yeah, um, yeah. that makes sense. Expl- help me with this because I, I, like, I understand the multifamily work, uh, workforce housing short up uh, Self-storage, mobile home, like that syndication model, I completely understand what I'm what I'm investing. I'm I'm syndicating. I, you know, I'm partnered up with three other GoBundance guys on uh, on a on you know syndicating a fund right now. So we're, you know on multifamily. So I get that. I honestly don't understand. Maybe it's my own ignorance. How a mortgage note fund works? Like, what are you investing in with a? Can you break that down? Yeah, for me? So I think there's some people that don't understand. Different. Yeah, I mean, so uh, two types of notes. There's performing notes and non-performing notes. So when I say a note, it's basically a mortgage. Yep. Okay. So, um, for sake of discussion, you know, say my 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 self-directed IRA owns the mortgage, so it gets paid the interest and whatnot, and so uh, a 
a performing note's easy because that's like you know that's one where the but when you when you take it over the borrower has already been paying on time has a track history of a good payment so you're just receiving the income stream period okay usually the returns on them you know uh are lower i mean it's um it's, and it's lower because it's you know it's, it's, it's less poor, riskier yeah. than the right, non-performing yeah. notes. Non-performing notes um, are a little bit different because the borrower is not paying. Okay, um, and uh, uh, basically what you what uh, note investors do, okay, is that we're like I don't I don't do my own uh, non-performing note negotiations. By the way, so I like invest. I I. I basically am picking the operator and um, I've worked with the same operator for many years right now, for example, to do all of the negotiation. But like on the non-performing notes side, they're basically working directly with an asset manager to buy the notes um, at a discount. You know, many times, um, in like, many times the, the, the notes um, too might be uh, the value of the loan is balance is 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 greater than the the value of the home. Sometimes it's not, but if it, but if it is, you could negotiate you know uh, a certain percentage of what the market value is, or just you know this discount of the note. So it's like you're so by the by the time that you 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 do attain it, it actually makes sense for you because here's the funny thing about a non-performing note: even though the borrower is not paying, you could actually if you bought it at enough of a discount. You could actually, uh, the first course of action is trying to get that bar to pay again, okay, at a modified loan, you know, loan modification type of deal. Because if they start paying, if you bought it at a right price, you're actually making money, okay? Um, what I love about the non-performing notes is that there's so many different types of exit strategies for them and different ways to make money if they don't, you know, if, if, if they don't pay again. I mean, but if, if they did start paying again, you could actually resell it as a performing note later on after 12 months, or if they didn't pay, then you could actually, you know, do other things is um, you could, you could, you know, you could do, you could, you could, you could foreclose on it if you wanted to, you could do cash for keys. It's like, you could just, you could do many other things and um, you know, you could eventually have the property if you wanted to, but it's just like, I, you know, a lot of times the first course of action is to get the borrowers to pay again. And it's been the returns on them, obviously like you, you, there's more work involved in them. Um, but the returns on them are much greater than what you would get from a performing note. Um, and because there's so much legwork involved in the negotiations of what you could do with them and why not, I don't have the time to do that. I mean, I'm busy out there selling, you know, uh, homes and, uh, you know, brokering loans or whatnot. But so it's funny because I, I mean, I do loans, but I do it from the origination side. I don't do it from that other side. And I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the best operator when it comes to negotiating anything on a non-performing note, but I know people that are. So I partner up with them and it's been really great. And, and it's just, it's really, it's really, um, been very beneficial to you know to to the growth of my of my self directed IRA. Now that makes sense. Hey, that's a great point. I, I'm doing that with my EQRP. You know, trying to grow that through these different different yeah. investment vehicles other than just you know some index fund. But um, who owns these notes? I guess this is the core of my question. So is this like a bank? local bank portfolio, not sold to Fannie Freddie, that they they own the performing notes, they're looking to recapitalize so they can lend more? Like who owns the notes, performing or non-performing, that you're actually investing in? Okay, got it. A lot of times, a lot of times it's 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 on the bank's portfolio and they're just be, they're just selling the entire tape of them. Got it. Um, to, you know, to somebody that's going to buy them all. It's actually easier for... Sometimes people can buy, you know, notes, performing and not performing one-offs, but a lot of times the best deals, if you're buying the entire tape, it's like, um, you know, during the REO days, it's like you hear of REO tapes, well, there's note tapes. You can buy the entire tape and then, um, you, you know, some, most, you know, whether they're good or bad, it's like you get a big, you know, you get a good deal by buying the entire lot and just figuring yeah. out all of them, at the, you know, at the same time. So it's those types of funds that that um uh, that i'm mainly investing in you know these uh, they got the entire tape and um they're just negotiating through all of them and um you know i love them i mean I, you know i love them yeah. um it's i'm again the notes are great in your S, in your S, in your self-directed IRA, IRA and like all the stuff i'm doing outside is not note related i don't, I don't do notes outside my uh, outside of my IRA because um 
they're more they're, they're tax advantaged to be in there. I, I mean, they don't. Yeah, I can't depreciate them or anything like that with some of the other syndications. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Is that is this something like you know the structure of a of a of a syndication or a fund for for um, notes? Is are you able to depreciate the underlying asset like in a bonus depreciation? That sounds like no. And then are you? Um, oh, there was another question. There. Are you able to depreciate the underlying asset that the note is based on? Oh, and is it split the same way, like a regular multifamily syndicate? Is it like a 70-30 owner? Like, what does that look like? It depends. Like, um, so, uh, so sometimes there's, because uh, uh, my my notes with different operators set up different ways. Like one of them is I'm, I'm, I'm a JD partner where I, I, where I provide the capital and um, the guy I partner up with, he does all the negotiation and it's a 50-50 split. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have other ones that are set up literally as a syndication. Okay. Um, and I'm, you know, again, I, I know the operator directly and whatnot, and uh, done, done, you know, repeat syndications and whatnot, and mortgage note pools with them and whatnot. And so uh, we just get paid when things sell off um, and they're, you know, and then we have a, we, we have a split up like I, I, off the top of my head, I think it's about 70, 30 split. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, that one feels really like a normal syndication versus me doing a JV partnership with somebody where it's like a 50, 50 split. Mm. Interesting. Thanks for going down that rabbit hole, man. That was, uh, just, I have heard of note funds and you know, I've just never no, done No, not a problem. I noticed I, I haven't bumped into many of the new investors in, in, inside GoBudnet. So it's just always an interesting topic when I'm talking about it. Cause nobody, not as many people are talking about it. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. Let's, let's roll over to, uh, to the health garden. So, Talk about body weight, body fat percentage. Let's start there. How are you doing on the health side? Um, this year, much better than last year because, you know, COVID took a toll on my body. And, uh, but so, but you're talking right now, it's like, I'm actually really lean. Okay. So right now I'm, I'm hovering around 178, 180 pounds. Like during COVID, I was about 206. Um, I've always been, yeah. Well, thank, no, thank you. Like body my body fat percentage is probably around 12, 13%. Um, I've always been into fitness and working out, um, on the life happiness and on the life happiness index, for example, the only thing that I scored a 10 was exercise. <laughs> I'm a workoutaholic. What does that look like? Uh, across you know, the I mean, so it's like, I used to do, um, well, um, so I swim every day. I'm part of a master's swim club and, uh, I grew up, I, I did swimming in, uh, uh, from, from, from when I was a kid through, through high school, but I stopped and I did, I mean, I got back into swimming in the last four years, but before, before I got back to swimming, I was doing cross for a decade and I was a power lifter, but in the last uh, four years I got back into swimming, uh, and like now I didn't realize this was going to happen to me, but like I swim open water now. I mean, um, I did two open water swims this year. One was Alcatraz and I, it was my third time doing Alcatraz but it was my first time doing it without a wetsuit. Um, and man, was it cold, but, um, it's like, I, I just like to test myself to the limits, but, uh, and I'm going to do it again. Like, what do you mean you Alcatraz? Just, it, the way Alcatraz, like the way the Alcatraz swim works, this is a very popular swim, obviously. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. And so, uh, you take the ferry, you know, from one of the piers yeah. and then they, you, you, they bring you out to where Alcatraz is. And then, and then you just jump off the ferry and then you all start at the same time. And then there you go. So, um, the, the swim itself is about, it's really not that long. It's about 1.2 miles, but with all of the current, it's really choppy, et cetera. You end up probably swimming about one and a half miles. Um, and the, there are sharks in the bay. The funny thing is when I think about them, it makes me swim faster. <laughs> so, um, and, yeah. you know, and so I mean, no, so I do a lot of swimming. I swim about a mile and a half a day, uh, at least. And I hike, um, uh, and I have a, um, like almost a CrossFit type of gym in my house. Uh, but I haven't been able to work out in my, gym, my home gym as much just because, um, because my, like, I'm busy working my businesses, you know what I mean? But, uh, but, but like, I always swim every day and I love, you know, what I love about swimming, by the way, is that it's the, like, it's the only thing where I'm fully disconnected because I can't bring my cell phone into the, into the water. Mm. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. That so it's, kind of very, it's very Zen for me. And, um, it's like a stretch and, and, and it's physically demanding at the same time. So 
I, I love it. I mean, I love hiking as well. Another uh, cool event that I did this year um, was called 29029. I uh, did it over in uh, near near Salt Lake City, uh, Utah, uh, at Snow Basin Resort, and it's uh, it's a, it's something that's put on by Jesse Itzler. And uh, what they do is they try to uh, simulate climbing Mount Everest. Uh, the like, so going up Mount Everest is like an ascent of about 30 miles. And so like they, for 29 or 29, they have you go up a mountain, like, uh, off the top of my head about uh, 16 times over at this, at, at, over at this location, over at So Basin in Utah. And I actually, by the way, I did this trip directly after the steamboat trip. I flew directly from there to go do this 29029, <laughs> which, which I thought was interesting. But yeah. um, I was training for it, you know, most of the year. But the only thing, um, I'm strong enough to finish it, but the, what got me, and I didn't finish it, and I hate to say that, but I'm gonna, I will do it again, is the elevation aspect. So I live at, you know, I, I live in the Bay Area. It's like not, I'm not, I'm not exposed to high elevation. Um I, I used to have asthma as a kid, but it came back during that hike and I didn't have an inhaler and nobody had one. Um, and I, I just, even if I had an inhaler, I knew that it probably wouldn't have, you know, uh, sufficed for the entire three miles. Um, and so I had to stop. I was almost out. I was halfway done. I was really discouraged. It was one of those things I was in, almost embarrassed about. Cause it's like, I finished things. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm all telling you guys right now, but I'm, I'll, I'll be back. Cause it's just like, I, it was, a, it was a very cool event. It really pushes you uh, to what you you know, what can you do? And I, um, and I, I actually met really cool people along, you know, along the way, um, even during that, during that, during the, during these sets. <laughs> One of the one of them was already a guest on my podcast, which is really funny. <laughs> that is cool. That's the networking piece, right? That's what you, yeah. you've done all your life. You've met and mingled, and that's how you built. Uh, it sounds like a lot of how you built what you have today is just. No, it, it is. It's just like you never know who you're going to meet. I mean, heck, I'm meeting you for the first time right here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And then Park City will see each other, which is great. Yeah, that's true. And you um, see, yeah, and it's just it's really cool. It's just like you never know what will come out of it. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about from a family side? Uh, what, what's that look like? Single guy, married, in a relationship, kids? Give me all that stuff. Where, where are you right now? No, good question. Um, so, yeah, I'm married and I have two boys. Uh, I have an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old. Um, you know, so like uh, my interesting thing is I, I initially met my wife uh, in college, uh, but we didn't get together until after college. Um and and now and here we are now with two boys. Um, and uh, she's also from the you know the Bay Area too, born and raised. Like we're so different, but I think it's a cool thing. Meaning, I'm such the go getter and like the entrepreneurial spirit and whatnot. And uh, she's uh, more grounded and more conservative. But like it works for me. I need somebody else because I, I I feel like she balances me out really well. Hmm. King to your yang. I have six and three year old boys. Any advice for the next four or five years before my kids are your kids' age? You know, I feel like we have similar kids. I mean, I mean, they're, I mean, they're full of energy, right? Yeah. And oh, so yeah. like, just, you know, keep up with them. Stay, like, uh, uh, you know, just keep working out and stay fit. And it's like, I, I, I mean, it's just like, you don't need to swim as much as me, but it's just like, I just want to keep up with them and make sure I can hang with them. It's like, I, um, you know, I'm having a lot of fun with my kids and my kids, I, I hope that they see that I'm having, you know, a fun time just being an adult in my life. I mean, I just... Funny thing is like, right when we got on the show, it's just like you saw that uh, I, I do, you know, TikToks and reels and stuff. I did my first TikTok with my, my younger son because he wanted to do one with me. And I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> he was so funny because he wanted, because he sees that I'm having fun with him and he wanted to know what it was like. He was like, I want to do that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, the da Dance and Dale. I saw yeah. your TikToks. You got rhythm, yeah. brother. You got rhythm. Right, it's like, well, so it's like... <laughs> We all got rhythm in us. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. We all got some sort of rhythm in us. Right, I, just put, I just put out on reels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. They're they're the best algorithm on Instagram. That's for sure. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk about the school of cash flow in the time we have left here, because I want to hear yeah. a little bit about what you're doing. You said you started this podcast this year. Um, you've you know you're having guests on it's an interview style format. What is the podcast School of Cash Flow? Tell me a little bit about it. You know what it was? Okay, so I started it because I wanted a way to well. Is multifaceted because I wanted a way to 
to expose people that are in my network, especially my clients. Um, I'm not an I'm not an investment property type of client here in the Bay Area. I mainly work with a lot of move up buyers. I do the buy, you know, the buy and the sell. It's just like, and we're caught up in the, you know, transaction where we really can't talk about anything else. Uh, but a lot of people are connected with me on social media. Uh, social media is big for me, by the way. Um, where I wanted to be able to like at least you know put out there what I'm doing with investments of like another part of me that I that's real estate related that I don't necessarily talk about when I'm dealing doing their real estate transaction or their mortgage transaction or whatever. I wanted to know that I'm investing in notes and doing these syndications and like there's a way to invest in real estate that doesn't need to be as active since a lot of these people want to keep their tech jobs, you know what I mean? Uh, but I'm just trying to, I was trying to do it as a way for them to expose them to ideas, maybe diversify out of tech stock and all this stuff. Okay. So I started off with just interviewing people that, uh, with that I, you know, that some people I've invested with, or, or sometimes I'm interviewing people, uh, you know, in, in areas like short-term rentals where I want to learn more about. Um, and so it's just, it's also for reasons for, for selfish reasons, because I too am in the process of learning. And as you know, in a podcast, like you're doing with me, you get to ask anything that you want. So it's just like, you have my captive, I have their captive attention for an hour. So, no, it's been really great. I've learned a lot along the way. I've even networked with even more GoBundance guys because they've been members of, I mean, guests on my podcast and that I, I, uh, you know, I connected with them, you know, through that way. So it's just, I, I feel that having this pod, having a podcast for me now is almost like the new way of, it's a new coffee meeting. It's like a virtual coffee meeting in, in one sense. I mean, we're having, you can't, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm still drinking my coffee right now with you doing this podcast. So, uh, I got Star- it. Starbucks. 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 <laughs> Mine's a chai latte though. I go a little foo-foo. What, what, what are you drinking? I'm very simple. So it's just like, I got a, you know, I just got a black coffee and I added an espresso shot to it. Well, it's funny. You talk about that. Adam Jason was a guest on, he owns a green <laughs> coffee company down in, uh, in Columbia. And after he was saying he was raising, I'm like, dude, I'm looking at place fund. So I invested in the green coffee company. And then when I did it, I messaged him like, I don't even like coffee. <laughs> He's like, I don't like this coffee. I promise you. Okay. I, I don't see the difference between any coffee ever. Anything espresso tasting, I'm out of it. So well, um, just going back to what you're drinking, does it even does it does it even does it wake you up enough? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I needed it today, man. I got like three hours of sleep last night for some reason. I was just like, I was geeking out on something. I don't even remember what it was last night. You ever go into that mode of you're just diving deep on a topic and all of a sudden it's like one in the morning and then I don't know why I popped up at my kind of normal four to five a.m. time, but it, yeah, it, it, whatever, stupid me. So I got the medium, whatever they call that, venti. Yeah, the grande. Grande. Yeah, yeah. I always like a grande and a venti cup because it spills in my car. I just, yeah, I think I drive too fast. That's a life hack, man. That's a great life hack. <laughs> um, School of cash flow on all platforms? Yeah, it's pretty much on, it's, I'm syndicated. So I'm pretty much on all the major uh, platforms. Yeah, check it out. I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, I'm always looking for guests to interview as well. You know, for it, if you're in, the, you know, if you're in, if you're in the real estate, you know, investing space, especially if you're an operator, or et cetera. Love it. Yeah. It's funny you say about podcasts. Like when I was thinking of starting one, Pat asked, Pat Hyben asked, Hey, do you want to, he said, quote, unquote, help me with the podcast, like maybe guest host sometimes. And then quickly it became like, he's out, I'm in kind of thing. But, um, to your point, I get to meet, I'm like, well, start my own, or I just get to meet all the GoBundance guys who are going to sign up for the GoBundance podcast, right? I get to do that. Uh, and it's already built and established. There's a team behind it. All I have to do is show up. So it was kind of a nice coup for me. But to your point, I do abandon the script a little bit. I rather just chit chat and get to know the guy. Cause I think uh, most podcast guests are more interested in your curiosity than they are, you know, the question that everybody wants to know. Cause that question, you know, you try to find that question. It's just, wonky and weird. It's more like they're there to hear you ask the questions that you're curious about. And I, I find a lot of value in that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And absolutely. No, it's just kind of funny because right before we started recording and whatnot, I was telling you I'm out of my comfort zone being a, a podcast guest. I'm more yeah. of a podcast host. So it's like, I don't even know what to expect, expect on the other side. <laughs> now, now You've been good at me so far. You've been good yeah. at me so far. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. We're about, to, we're about to wrap it. So you're, you're off the hot seat here. I'm going to ask you a question from our lovely GoBundance card game. And this one's interesting. I've never asked this one before. We'll give it a ride. Do you have a bug out bag in case you needed to leave in a hurry with your family? Why or why not? And what's in it? I don't. I can tell you that. I should probably have one, but. My gosh. Um, you ever see me like a, a bug out bag and just 
I don't have a bug out bag. It's just like if I need to leave, uh, you know, with my family, are we, are we talking about like the zombies come? Yeah. Like the zombies are coming. Do you have, do you have a, you know, I dry don't. food? <laughs> You're making me think like, like, I mean, I live in, so it's funny thing. It's like, we live in California. There's a lot of earthquakes and stuff and, and whatnot of your knock on wood. It's just yeah, like, yeah. so I don't even like my, here's my, one of the things I need to working on. I live day by day. I don't plan. <laughs> need to plan for like emergencies and stuff like that so like i can so that i so that i am prepped for when the zombie apocalypse comes or when a when an earthquake comes so too i am not prepared gotta get Um, a helicopter man that's the key helicopter up out done you're ready to go (laughs) (laughs) can i just call like i mean I wish I, I need, I need superhero friends that could just save us (laughs) you know there's a guy there's a guy in abundance that i was talking to that invested in it's like a membership, almost like a country club membership for um, for like compounds. They're around the country. Yeah. And like, you know, you can just go there if you want to. It's almost like a resort. But if, you know, whatever happens, happens, you know, the, they literally become like a militarized zone. But you own like you can get in because you own a share of it. And they're like fully guarded, you know, armed guards and me- like crazy. Yeah, it's it's, it's I of- never I just learned something right now. Just this started like I didn't know that we were going to go there. Like that's amazing. I never knew that existed. I didn't either. I didn't either. I need right. to be a better prepper. I have like like you I have like no prep. Like at the like there's a comedian that says like you know, I'm just if I buy a bunch of stuff, I'm just buying it for the strongest guy in the block to come take it from me at this point, right? Like he's going to take all my water and dry food cuz I don't know what to do. You know, but I have no prepping skills, but some guys are deep into it, man. They really get into it. So <laughs> I'm a go with the flow type of person. I mean, like it, it served me well this so far, but I could always improve. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Way to end it, man. I love that. That's the uh that is a great uh great way to bring it to a close. Uh where can people follow you? Obviously, there's a school of cash flow podcast we can find everywhere. Yes. What's your Instagram handle? Where do you want folks yeah. to direct uh okay? So yeah, I'm huge on social media. Um if you want to be entertained by my reels, look at it and connect with me or DM me um, at sold by Dale. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Dale Corpus and my best email address. Feel free to reach out to me. I'm always willing to network with people, you know, about, you know, real estate, investing, uh, mortgages. Um, I mean, drinking or whatever, uh, fitness. It's uh, my email address is Dale at key to the bay.com. Dale at keytothebay.com. To the Bay. We'll drop that in the show notes along with Sold by Dale on the School of Cashflow podcast. Dale, amazing, man. Thanks for, you did a great job. You're an amazing guest. So congrats. Oh, thanks. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate you, brother. Thanks for being yeah, here. I appreciate you. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 